Today I want to talk about the coming light, the coming light, the light that has begun to come and is still coming to us. I wonder if after thousands and thousands of years that the world is maybe ready to admit that they don't have the hope that they've tried to create for centuries and centuries and centuries. Are we ready to admit that? Is the world ready to admit that? It seems like empires have risen over time and have given us godlike uh, leaders who have promised change. They promised change. They've given us religious systems and political platforms and new philosophies and scientific discoveries, mind-blowing scientific discoveries, mind-blowing technologies. We've even been given human revolutions. We've even got some current revolutions that are going on. But does anyone believe that any of them have brought us the final answer to where the hope is? And yet, we take sides and we take opinions and we'll stand for one thing and we'll fight against another. But at the end of the day, we know as Christians there is only one place we can find hope. Only one, according to what the Scripture tells us. All this promised hope that has been given to us over centuries and centuries by humankind has not delivered anything. And yet, it says before 720 years before Christ came, one man started speaking about it. One man started to describe the person that would come and give us hope. And his name was Isaiah. And he saw it 720 years before it ever came. Now, we're actually going to read a scripture. It's going to be a long scripture, and it's going to be in context, because usually what we do is we skip to the sweet part of the scripture, right? We'll get to the sweet part, the sweet part, sweet part of the scripture later on, right? But he, he gives us a huge context of what he's speaking into. And when he was describing this context of what he was speaking into, it's like he was describing what we're living through now. He described wars that were happening. He describes darkness. He describes corruption. He even describes the occult, slavery, hunger, disease, God's judgment. It's like he described the very world that we're living in today. And then once he describes that, he tells us two different things in Isaiah chapter 9. He tells us this. He tells us that this coming light will tell us is what will happen and who will make it happen. Who is going to bring this coming light? And what will this coming light look like? And that's what I want to look at today. Now, before we get into this, the reason why I want to talk about this is because I want to address the issue of the loss of hope that happens in our hearts. That when we are promised something and then we don't get it, we often lose hope. And it's simply because it doesn't happen fast enough. It doesn't happen immediate enough. Has God promised something good for you? Has he called you to something great? Has he said he'll take you somewhere? Has he said he'll put you into a, different, different, a specific position in your life? And you had that hope in your life, but suddenly it started to fade away. It started to fade away because it just didn't seem like it came about anytime soon. And it seems like we demand that it all must happen now, but the results don't come right now. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. Because sometimes you see things before you interact with things. Let me say again, you see things before you interact with things. When I was a child about five or six years old, some of you have heard this before, but when I was about five or six years old, I, uh, my, my parents had this American couple that came and stayed with us and they, they were at breakfast and I was, I was really chatting with them because I was intrigued with them and my mother said to stop bugging them and, she, and they said, well, let me give you a dollar. And when I got that dollar, that was one of the most important dollars that had ever been given in my life. Why? Because at that moment, I felt that God spoke to me as a child, someday I'm sending you to America. And I remember going up to my mother and saying, oh, I'm going to go to America. I've got a dollar. Of course, she thought I was just 
thinking I was playing and all that. Sort of thing. Oh, that's lovely, Peter. That's wonderful. But inside my heart, I had this intense belief, someday I'm moving to America. Of course, the years go by and it comes and it goes. And when I was in my teenage years, my young teenage years, I felt God I fired it up inside of myself. And with my friend, we made a pact that one day you'll go to Africa. One day I'll go to America. Fair deal, fair swap, right? So... So, so he said, you'll go to Africa and I'll go to America. So, and we were like pumped about it. And we even started praying about it. And we were young teenagers. And talk about young theological Christian nerds, right? Who does, you know, but anyway, we were, we were really excited about this. But as I got older and I got older and I got older and older, this thing got further away from me. The word that I felt God gave me when I was a child got further away from me. And I stopped believing it. I stopped believing. Was it because I lost hope? Was it because I was discouraged? No, because I was so far away from it. You see, sometimes you're so far away from the source that you only see the effect of it and you start believing in the effect of it rather than in the source of it. The mile, the, 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 the sun is 93 million miles away, but you don't actually see the sun. You see the effect of the sun. It takes eight and a half minutes for sunlight to come. That's what Google tells me at least. It takes eight and a half minutes for the sun to come to me and then I see it and I start believing in the sunlight. I don't actually start believing in the sun. And I believe that many of us have put a hope in what the effects of the sun are rather than in the actual sun himself. You follow me so far? And when we don't see the, we don't see how it's working, we don't see the light anymore, and we don't, we feel like we're further away from the source, we start to lose hope, but yet the message of Isaiah is still this, the source of the light is coming. The one who is the bearer of the light is coming. Did he come as a child? Yes, he did come as a child, but he said he would come back again, and we can't afford to just celebrate something that was in the past. We have to celebrate with our eyes to the future constantly that the light is still coming. So let's read from Isaiah chapter 9 exactly what he was telling the people in his day. We're going to start at Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. It says this, nevertheless, nevertheless means based on everything I just said about how junky this world is, watch your words, Peter, how junky this world is, right, how bad this world is, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Now watch this. He makes, he makes this, this movement from what was into what is, what was into what is. He goes from one state into the next state. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee, the nations, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Look at that. He goes from gloom to uh, where is it? I lost the word. I didn't highlight it. It goes from gloom to joy or glory. Somewhere in the, the honor. There it goes. It goes from gloom to honor. He goes from the past to the future. But he actually says this as well. He talks about Zebulun and Naphtali. Why would he throw the, sometimes you see these writers in the scriptures and they throw out these words. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? He's basically saying from the north, there were 12, there were 12, I'm sorry, this is going into a really nerdy theological path. Okay, so just follow me on this, right? If you fall like that, the I'll nod you awake, right? Just, just two minutes, right? From Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the 12 tribes of Israel and they lived in the north in the area of, what does that word say? Galilee, right? That's where Jesus ministered around in Galilee. And yet there was a prophet at the same time called Micah who said something completely different. He said, a light and a Messiah will come from the south in a place called Bethlehem. You can imagine anyone that was reading both of these prophets going, you guys are contradicting each other. You're completely going against each other. But Micah was right. In Bethlehem in the south is where Jesus was born. But, 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 but 
the, uh, uh, Isaiah was talking about later on in, in Jesus' ministry when he would actually start his ministry in the north where these tribes were. Oh, stay with me on this. I know it's a theological rabbit trail, but let's switch over to Matthew 4.12. This is when Jesus was about to start his ministry. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to where? Galilee. Why? Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So even Jesus knew what was going on. He knew who he was. Even though he knew he wasn't going to fulfill everything that God had called him to, he was just going to begin what God had called him to. He was going to begin the calling of, sal of, of salvation for the rest of the world. It's not been fulfilled, people. We've only began seeing the light. We've only began seeing what the great plan of God is. And look at this. Through the prophet Isaiah, the uh, land of Zebulun, this is what Isaiah is saying, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. He's quoting what had been spoken about 720 years before him. And he's saying, I am the light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. But look at this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. What does that word say? Near. Does not say the kingdom of heaven is now here. He said it's come near. It's come further to us. It's closer to us than ever before. You see, I understand that our concept of time and our concept of, a, of understanding the way that God works and the ability to be patient enough to see God come nearer to us, he's maybe a little bit slower than what we had imagined, but he is a reliable God that when he says that he will bring us salvation, that he will turn the, the world upside down and he will change everything, that we can trust him and believe him even though it's not completed yet, it's not finished, it's not yet, but it has started, it has come near. What Jesus said was, I'm going to give you the grace and the ability to start repenting now. To start, what does repentance mean? It means sorry enough to change. To start changing now. To start making yourself adapted to the kingdom of God rather than everything else that is around us. Let's continue on. We're going to go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 9. The people walking in Darkness have seen a great light. A great light is going from darkness to light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke. You once had a yoke, now it's being shattered. They shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. He goes on, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Sounds really weird and odd, right? This is what he's saying. That everything that was used against you will now be used in your favor. Everything that's been used against you is not something that is just a historic moment. Remember the time when we were so badly abused, when we were rejected, when we were hurt, when we were, when we were destroyed? Remember that time back then? No, God is saying, all of that stuff, I'm gonna use it in your favor because it's gonna turn out to be fuel for the fire. 
It's going to be fuel for your passion. It's going to be fuel for your future. It will energize you to be able to live the life that God has called you to. And in fact, I believe it was Paul who said, who said something about that. And he said this amazing thing. He said, God turns all things to good for those who love them. And like Paul actually read this as well. And like everything that was used for your bad will, turned, will, be, turned, will be turned for you. All right, there's the picture of Isaiah has created for us, right? He's told us how terrible the world is in chapter eight. And now he's telling us the change that is gonna come, what will happen. And now he turns to the one that will actually make that happen. Now here's the famous scripture, right? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now say this with me. If you're at home, say it with me. Let's say it all out loud together. Here we go. One, two, three. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many of you have heard that before, right? You've at least seen it on your Christmas cards. Maybe you've got it on a piece of driftwood nailed to your door, your wall of your front mantelpiece, right? It's all wonderful. Right? We all have these wonderful things of how we describe what it is that God is trying to do here and who he's actually trying, who he's trying to show us that he is. And we, we, what we do is we skip all the other stuff and we go to this part here, right? Because this is the whole part here. It's easy to skip to this stuff. But you have to understand there's a journey that we are going through to get to this hope, to get to this source. Right now, we're going through the journey of seeing the effect of what Christ has done on the cross. We're seeing the, 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 the transition that we're all going through, but this ultimately is what we've got to keep our eyes on. Not our eyes on what hasn't happened or the little things that have happened, but on the one who will make it happen in the end. Are you following me so far? So let's quickly just go through this, right? Because he talks about this child that's gonna come along. Now, how many of you have ever placed your hope in a child? I really hope this child's gonna look after us when we're old. <laughs> really, you know, you know, there's not really a lot of hope in children, right? Sounds terrible, doesn't it? What we do is we go, we wish our children will do well. We wish that they will be able to turn out well. And when they don't turn out well, we're disappointed because all of our wishes are dashed. None of our hope can be in future generations. None of our hope can be in past generations. All of our hope must be in one person, in Jesus Christ. And here's this, here's this writer saying, for unto us a child is born. A child? Are we really gonna put ourselves into the hands of a child? It doesn't sound much like a savior. And on this child, a government will form on his shoulders. Now here's the thing. There is no government in the world that has been able to be an example for the rest of the world. I'm sorry, supporters of America, but there is no government in the world that has been able to show how we can live the kingdom life. In fact, there is no one leader in the world who has been able to shoulder all the problems of the world. Every leader crumbles or go or falls at some point. They even die. But then he goes on to describe who this Messiah will be, who the one that will be able to cover, uh, to, to carry and shoulder the whole government on his shoulders. He describes them one by one. I'm gonna quickly go through these one by one. Number one is wonderful counselor. What does it mean? How many of you ever been to a counselor, right? You've gone to a counselor, maybe they've helped you, maybe they've not helped you, maybe they've just confused you. But how many counselors would you need to get to to get to the best understanding of your life and God? There is no counselor. 
There is no perfect counselor. There will never be enough marriage counselors for you, coaches, mentors for you, to give you everything that you ever need in your life. But here's the thing. When we read about what Jesus did in the Bible, when someone asked him a question, he had an answer for them every time. Every time. He didn't go, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. Do you mind if I go study that up? Or maybe who you should speak to, I'll give you a referral. Here's my script, here's a referral. Or maybe I can go ask God on your behalf. No, every time he had an answer. If you're in the position in your life where you're looking for an answer, ask the wonderful counselor. I love this word wonderful because the word wonderful is more akin to a miraculous counselor who exceeds expectations. He will go beyond what you can ever expect. If you just expect the best from him, if you ask the best from him, he will give you the best counsel you can ever be. Then it goes to mighty God. Mighty God is more akin to a mighty warrior, a hero warrior. It means a protector, someone who will give you all the safety you ever need in your life. Listen, we'll never need, we'll never need cameras on our doors anymore to make sure that our packages, our Amazon packages get stolen ever again. Why? Because we'll be secure. Even those that are for guns and even those that are against guns, we'll be able to live in harmony. Why? Because we'll be able to be in security. You see what I'm saying? It's amazing the arguments and the tensions that we have in our culture and what we need is a mighty God who not only counsels us well, but will guarantee safety in our lives. Because safety is one of the top priorities in most people's lives. It's one of the biggest fears that we have. Will I have enough money for the future? Will I be able to survive this cancer? Will I be able to find a mate? Will I be able to pay my bills? Will I be safe? I should get a gun. I should get secure. I should save up for the future. We're always building into the fear of losing things. But we have a mighty God who will give you all the security you ever need in your life. Here's the fourth description of him, and that is everlasting father. How many of you have ever lost a father before? Lost a dad. I lost my dad as well. Let me tell you, as soon as you lose your father, you become an orphan. Every person is on the path to becoming an orphan. Now, it sounds terrible. It's not very Christmassy sounding, right? But every person who loses a father, something inside of you becomes abandoned. Something inside of you, I'm sorry for all those who still have fathers, right? You're like, the future looks terrible. <laughs> but everyone becomes an orphan. When Jesus was about to leave his disciples and go back to heaven, he said these very words. It was absolutely amazing. In John 14, 18, 20, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He literally picked that problem out. He said, I will not leave you as an orphan, but I will come back to you. He was telling them, keep your eyes focused on who I am, not on what you're experiencing, not on the, the delay, not on the effects of who I am, but keep focused on who I am. I am your everlasting Father that will never, ever leave you. And the last one he said was Prince of Peace. Do you know that historically, there has only been 300 years that have ever been recorded where there was no wars, not consecutively, but 300 years in the thousands of years that the earth has existed, only 300 years have no record of any wars. It's not because there wasn't any wars, it's because we didn't have any records. 
300 years, we have no record. Every other year, there has been wars across the earth. In fact, the Bible says that in the last days, there will be wars and there'll be rumors of wars. And I've always wondered, what does rumor of war mean? Well, I tell you, if you can, if, if today is not a description of rumors of wars through Facebook, through Instagram, through news, through Twitter, these constant rumors of this person said that, that person did this, and it's a fomenting of constant hatred against one another. It's a rumor of war. World peace, no one has ever been able to bring that. And even in sometimes in our own arrogance, we can, as a country, imagine that my way is the right way. My politician, my platform, my purpose, the way I expect things to be, that's the way we should run this country. And we have an arrogance of thinking that we're gonna be able to bring peace and never once have we achieved it. Do we need a savior or what? The world is the exact same place it was 720 BC where there was tension and fighting and brokenness and people fighting against one another. And Isaiah was shouting out, there is a Messiah coming. There is a light coming. Put your eyes towards the north. Put your eyes towards Christ. That's the only place that we'll find peace. That's the only place we're gonna find everything that we desire. And then he describes this wonderful Savior to us. Today what I've done is I've asked the, 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 the dance team, the dance studio, to put together a performance. And I said, I want you to interpret this any way you want, right? I'm not gonna tell you how to, I'm not gonna tell you to do all these things here. I don't know how you're gonna do that. Dance out, wonderful counselor, right? But I've asked them to actually put together a performance and it's kind of cool. What they've done is they put a performance together where there's like three different characters and there seems to be this interaction and relationships but there's walls that keep coming up in between them and their family, in between them and the light, in between them and Jesus. And then in the second dance, we're actually gonna show a dance where Christ has come to us and he started that process of salvation for us. He started the eminence of light that he was sending to us and it will end in the manger. I'm excited about today's performance. I hope it helps you to see how God has sent his son and he has brought his light. Distinction is tough 
I want you to leave with this one thought in your head. Don't trust what you see, trust what you know. The reason that we return back to the manger every year is because we know that a savior had come and he'd become one of us. This story, this journey that we're all on is being played out over thousands of years and for eternity. And whatever God has put in your heart, trust in the one that you know not in what you see or what you understand. Let's stand this morning. Father, we wanna thank you that we get to celebrate your son and we, re we, we refuse to be uh, dictated by what we feel or what we see this year to be in the Christmassy spirit. We will stir up this joy because of what we know and that you are a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. You will bring everything that our heart desires. And I pray now that you once again would fill us up with your hope that the light has come and fill us up with your spirit. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Come on, let's give him a shout of joy this morning. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.